0: Hello and welcome to Deconstruction 101. Thank you for joining us today. Uh, Today we are talking about the social construct of time. Uh, Just some introductions real quick. I am Emily Danko. I'm Monica Elvin. And I'm Michelle Brown. And we also have
1: Candace Hopkins joining us as our producer extraordinaire behind the scenes.
0: Of course. We are so blessed to have her and I am just really excited to talk about and really deconstruct this concept of time because it really is all around us and it causes a lot of discomfort for a lot of different people. Uh, as we were planning this episode of this podcast, I was reminded of when I was younger and every time Uh, My mom would take me to a party because I didn't drive until I was about 18. So my mom would have to drive me everywhere. And every time we went to a party or something, it was always like, okay, mom, it's seven o'clock. We need to go. Like I was supposed to be there at seven. The party starts then. And no matter what, my mom's always like 15 minutes late. And to me, it was just so frustrating because the way I see it is time is very valuable. And, you know, we should be honoring time and we should get there when we get there. I was like, I want to be there five minutes before it technically starts so I can sit in the car for five minutes. And it was just really frustrating. And I'm sure a lot of you, our listeners, have experienced something really similar and, I'll be interested to see really why we have that, that problem. Like how some people see time and how other people see it. You look like you have a question.
1: I'm just curious. So poll really quick.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Who is similar to Emily and has a really precise um, experience with time and wanting to be on time specifically to parties? Because I know for myself... <laughs> I'm one of those people that I arrive when I arrive. I actually don't want (laughs) to arrive on time because I don't want to be the first one or be the first one to have to mingle. I like things to already be ready. So I'm curious, Monica, are you, which one? I hate to do this to you, but
2: I got to side with Emily on this one. I am like, if you, you know, the saying, if you're five minutes early, you're late. Okay, for me, if you're, not 30 minutes early, you're late. I have <laughs> mad anxiety about that. And I think part of it is actually, gosh, maybe this is a mother thing, but my mom is the worst when it comes to being on time. It's like she just runs on her own clock, but it's like, yeah, it doesn't phase her in the slightest. and. While I'm sweating in the back of the car, you know, pulling my hair out. And I just am thinking I want to sit and have my peace before I have to be anywhere, you know. So I think you just have that inner peace. Maybe that's the piece that I'm missing.
1: Well, I think I'm the odd one out here. But I think, uh, Emily, you have more information around the construct of time uh, historically and also amongst different cultures.
0: And maybe we can actually answer that question as we think about our own concepts. I'm really excited to explore this with you guys. So starting off, when you think about time, you have to go way, 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 way back all the way to the beginning of humanity.
1: Beginning of time.
0: Beginning of time. (laughs) Literally the beginning of time. So really you think about time and you think before clocks, how did people keep time? But in early humanity, the way that people kept time was through the seasons, of course, and then also through the rising and the setting of the sun. Now, that doesn't always apply everywhere you go. I mean, you look at places like Alaska and the native cultures up there. Sometimes there are what we think of as weeks where the sun never sets. And so you have midnight sun where the sun's like at the very bottom of the horizon but it's still there and then in the winter time the sun will dip below the horizon for what we think of again as weeks at a time so there will be no sun at all and so what your concept of time was was really tied to this rhythm of nature and it was really tied to what was going on around you because you had no way to travel to different areas of the world and see how other people imagine time. And then also, if you were a hunter-gatherer, you had to be really conscious of when berries were ripe and when certain animals came through because if you didn't get that narrow window of when the mammoths were migrating, then you may not have any supplies for the winter. So it was really crucial that people had this understanding of the seasons, but it was definitely a slower concept of time than we think of today. Around 1500 BC, though, that started to change as we started to see more civilizations. So you had people who weren't necessarily hunter-gatherers, but they were farmers. And farmers had that similar idea okay, we need to know when to plant, we need to know when to harvest, we need to know the season in which our animals will be fertile and when they'll be pregnant so we don't overwork them during certain seasons. Especially in Egypt, they had to know when the flooding would happen and when the flooding would not happen. But again, it was still very, very slow concept of time and it was seen as this circle that didn't end. Um, At the same time, though, too, we were starting to see things like sundials and water clocks. And a lot of these timekeeping devices were actually in things like temples because you would worship at certain times. You would have uh, uh, services at certain times and things like that. And so it started to slowly change. Okay, we're going to let everybody know at this time because of what the sundial has told us, now we're going to start worship, or this is when we're going to make a sacrifice. So it slowly started to change. But at the same time, too, time was very, very local because a sundial in one city might be very different than a sundial in another city depending on the sun. So two cities might be 20 miles apart, but their time might be ever so slightly off from each other. Mm-hmm. Which brings us to the Industrial Revolution and railroads because capitalism controls everything. (laughs) So as we get into the Industrial Revolution, people started to be paid by the hour rather than in productivity or goods. If you were a farmer in ancient Egypt, you might have been paid in money or you might have been paid according to how many bushels you harvested but more likely you were given goods in exchange for your services. In the industrial revolution though, we started to have automated factories that would run 24 seven. And we also had labor laws that dictated how many hours a day and how many hours a week people could work. So you start to see more and more timekeeping devices, especially in the United States, where we had a lot of automation. And then once the railroads started to develop in the west, the railroad said, hey, we need a centralized system of time so the people in New York know when they have to get to the train because a delay for 15 minutes here while we wait for people to board means a half hour delay later on, right? So you start to see these, cascading lateness of the railroads and the railroads say would say you know we're not having that we need to make lots of money so we want to run on time now they're never on time now but (laughs) the railroads are responsible for the clocks as we know them today because before it was just based on city basically a different each city would have a different clock that they would base everything in the town off of and often it was the church Hmm. very interesting it is
1: very interesting. Very. Have any of y'all been, um, been or experienced, um, a flight being on time or a train being on time?
0: No. no. I don't think <laughs> I've ever been traveling and had something either arrive on time or, or, or I, most of the time it's been late. I was stuck in the Boston airport for six hours once because of a broken bathroom on a plane.
1: Amazing. Mm. Amazing. <laughs> time being so important in our current uh, context and so tied to capitalism and travel, and yet it seems as though it is never on time. Mm -hmm. And so I think that brings me to a question I've been pondering as we've been exploring the concept of time has to do with to whom does standardized time benefit? And so, Emily, you began to go into the context of time's involvement with the railroad and the railroad's need for a standard method of timekeeping but again for who does that benefit and you also mentioned the loss of the local temporal context and that um what does that loss mean and i think when we look at today many uh, communities are beginning to demand in a way Um, their time back. Emily also mentioned the role of the labor movement and we can understand the labor movement as a modern protest to reclaim our time back. Um, As time began to be claimed by the bosses um, in regards to when your workday began and when it would end and how long it would last um, when we're thinking about um, a week. And in the labor movement, folks began to demand that, you know, you don't work 11 hours a day. And now we have laws that allow for that.
2: I think this might be a good time for a quick commercial break. Um, So we will see you guys back here in just a minute.
1: Have you ever been curious about what makes a good leader? Or considered running or starting your own nonprofit organization? Whitworth University's Graduate Studies in Education, Administrative and Nonprofit Leadership program was designed for leaders ready to make a lasting impact in their communities. If you've ever thought about leadership or have aspirations of better serving your community, do us a favor and check us out online at whitworth.edu/gse. Welcome back, everyone. We are talking about the social construct of time. We were just discussing the question of to whom does standardized time benefit? And the new age movement of really progressive folks attempting to reclaim time. Actually, really interesting, there is um, an island off of uh, off of a of Norwegian island, excuse me, Samaroy, uh that as a community, they are fighting to go time free to be the first um, time zone free um, country. 69 days a year, the sun does not set there. And so they claim that it is impossible to, to adhere to modern and rigid time conventions of when to sleep and when to wake. During the long stretches of time, when the sun does not set, few folks pay attention to time anyway. And so they're like, why keep it? Let's get rid of it. Um, We don't need it. And um, yeah, so they are banding together to try to organize to get rid of time. Imagine that. Monica, what do you think about that?
2: Well, see, it's interesting because I did live in Alaska for about a year and a half. So it's two summers. So we've kind of touched on this previously, but... I completely condone this as somebody who's lived in a part of the world where the sun just doesn't set. Uh, I mean, we would go on midnight hikes, you're up until three, four in the morning, and you're just never tired. Um, so even though it seems like, well, shouldn't our bodies naturally you know, get tired even if it's light out? No, they don't. <laughs> it's, it's kind of miraculous, but there's a dual side of that, that they, these people probably don't experience quite as much, but um, in Alaska, you also get 18 hours of darkness a day, mm-hmm. and um, I was in school at the time, so when I would leave the house, it was dark, and when I would come home, it was dark, and uh, I, I could have slept for 18 hours a day, no problem, <laughs> so I am a big fan of going based off of uh, region rather than regiment,
0: I have to say.
1: Absolutely. I like that,
0: region rather than regiment. It reminds me of when I was in my undergrad during finals week when you would be up until four o'clock in the morning studying or working on a paper and then you'd go to your friend's party and your friends would party until 2 p.m. Then you'd go back home and then just, you know, crash for 16 hours. Oh, oh yes. The college schedule. Yes. right. Yes. Yes, <laughs> yeah. The, the lawlessness and timelessness of finals week as long as you make the, the test or the turn-in date, time does not matter.
1: <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. So I think what we're starting to get out here is that what does time spent mean outside of production? And I think in thinking about um, or communities that are organizing to go time-free or less time-rigid, um, really embrace um, play or uh, embrace recreation and rest. And I think that's important because I think it's difficult to untether our modern understanding of time from the function of capitalism. As we were earlier discussing, uh, much of our modern uh, conventions of time and timekeeping uh, were created in relation to the railroad, in relation to factories and productivity. And so again, we have to ask, if time can be used to command our attention or impose order on our lives, then the ability to set it and ultimately decide how others use it is a source of tremendous power. So sit with that for a second. Time and timekeeping being a source of tremendous power. It was really interesting and some of the research I was doing was comparing the difference between mapping and clocking, and clocks, Mm -hmm. essentially. Uh, This scholar on time uh, who talks specifically about critical horology, her name is Michelle Bastain, says that the difference between maps and clocks is quite um, interesting in that mapping has become an opportunity for collaboration and participatory work and projects while the clock rarely is an opportunity to be uh, collaborative. So what would it look like if we were to approach timing uh, in a collaborative way or to, again, go back to our local context of what it means to be on time or what we're spending our time doing? Additionally, there is a wonderful woman. She calls herself the Nap Bishop, I love that title. I really would love to, you know, figure out how I can get those credentials of you being gotta be a the NAP, NAP
0: Bishop. You've got to be the NAP Pope. But there we go.
1: That's the highest uh, form. But she, uh, you have to follow her on Instagram. We'll figure out how to connect uh, y'all to her. But she runs the NAP Ministry. And really, what she is trying to promote is rest as resistance and how important uh, folks reclaiming their time specifically for rest and the power that comes with that, as well as the creative energy that comes when we're constantly not having to produce, when we're constantly not having to be on time at a job or only valuing time when you're producing something, that there is value in the time we take for ourselves or in collaboration with others. I also think it's worth us exploring how biologically it's beneficial for us to expand our understanding of time and to perhaps break free from the, constraint, the constraints of timekeeping and of the clock.
2: Gosh, I just love this topic of sleep. It's funny, it's this restful idea, and yet I think everybody gets a little excited when we talk about nap time and, and bedtime. <laughs> I mean, I'm getting a little giddy. I but... wish we still had nap time. <laughs> right? Why is that a thing in kindergarten and not in college when we need it? Um, so actually, funnily enough, I, I was looking at this research on circadian rhythms, which is exactly what I'm sure this nat bishop is um, centered around. So it is our body's natural inner clock for rest. Um, And they actually did a study where essentially they put people into, we'll just call it a cave. No lights, no sense of time from the outside, no set meal times, nothing that would regularly regiment time as we think of it. Right, so they're just lost in this abyss, and it turns out that they actually tend to run off of a 25-hour um, schedule rather than our 24-hour schedule that we typically think of. Now, okay, so we are pretty close, right? That's, that's not terrible, only we'll an hour off. But, you know, why is that? Why, why do we have this 24-hour schedule to begin with? Our bodies go off of this other schedule, so how did this come to be? And we've kind of talked about this already um, a little bit in the history of time, but, uh, okay, so I'm going to get a little bit uh, technical here. Bear with me, I'm going to quote Einstein, (laughs) Uh, but he wrote on the relativity of time, you know, so I, I have to touch on him, right? We can't talk about time without talking about Einstein. So he wrote that people like us who believe in physics know that the distinction between past, present, and future is only a stubbornly persistent illusion, Time, in other words, he said, is an illusion. He says he thinks that time is real and that the law of physics may not be as permanent as we think they are. Now, I'm not gonna get too deep into the relativity you know, theory, um, but it's connected to time and space. He even said that gravity can bend time. Um, so we've got these different forces of physics affecting what we think of as this set standard now why with this expansive technical confusing yet accepted theory that you know Einstein wasn't crazy right we we think that he was a pretty smart guy and he probably knew what he was talking about why don't we accept this why do we have this regiment that we go off of regardless well it's because human beings can't quite function in a world that does not have regimen. Now a lot of you are probably cringing, you hate to hear that, you (laughs) want to think that we're all free spirits, you know we we can run off of our own clock. Well that can be true, however there is a concept in sociology that requires us to have schemas. Now you can think of a schema as a stereotype So I'll use, um, I'll give you an example when I was first learning about this in school. I'll use the example of getting onto a public bus. So imagine you're walking onto a bus, okay? And there's plenty of seats open, but there's also three or four people on the bus. How do you determine where to sit? Now this may seem like something that you don't think about, right? You just sit down, but you do make a decision, right? A decision has to be made for you to sit down. Now, how do we make that decision? We have to use stereotypes. We have to use a schema, a set of ideas that allows us to understand our surroundings. So you see an elderly woman, you know, she's got her little purse, she's probably got some hard candies in there. She's (laughs) just looking sweet as a bug, right? And then on the other side of the bus, say you've got a larger man who, let's give him an eye patch, why not? And and a (laughs) scar on his cheek. And Some facial tattoos. Yes, you mm-hmm. you understand where I'm going. You got Mike Tyson. He there, also right? has
0: hard candies <laughs> in his purse.
2: Yeah. <laughs> Gosh, I hope not.
0: So so you,
2: you get where I'm going with this, right? You've got these polar opposites, and instantly you have to form a decision based on this. And now, of course, the. The you know liberal in you the free spirit in you the one who thinks you know what we are we are human beings we have willpower we have the ability to think beyond stereotypes well it's kind of but at the end of the day we have to sit down we have to pick a seat so what do we do we go to our best guess we go to our stereotypes that we hold of okay where am I most likely safe? Probably next to the lady with the caramels. Maybe she'll even get me one, right? That's, that's going to be my choice because I have to make it. Now, this is just a, to give an example of how we, we have to generalize and we have to use these, these understandings that although it may be false. Maybe, you know, Mike Tyson over there has candies too and maybe he would give them to me. But I Maybe have the old lady's a murderer. <laughs> yes, right. We've all seen those shows. It's the it's your neighbor, it's the one you least expect. But we can't go through every single possible opportunity or every you know scenario because we would never sit down. So we have this this set in our psyche where we have to go based off of these schemas, we have to have something that makes sense, we have to have something that is simplified, right? So that's why we can't all be Einstein. We can't think of time as affected by gravity because how would we function in society? How would we function with one another? And now Michelle brought up great points about, you know, it's something that we don't question nearly enough as to who is benefiting from this and who dictates it. But at the same time, we do have to understand that this did not just develop because we needed to run a railroad, right? This did not just develop because somebody thought it would be profitable. We do need some way of having this common understanding, um, because you know, as human beings, we're we're social beings. Aristotle said that, right? We we cannot exist alone. But how do we come together at the same time? So I think now we'll go ahead and take another break, and we will be back with you shortly. At Spokane Treatment and Recovery Services, we are dedicated to our community. That is why we have a sobering unit that runs 24-7 and is the first step into our detox unit. We are fully staffed around the clock in order to make sure that we can answer any questions over the phone while we serve our clientele. For more information or to call anytime, day or night, You can dial 509 570
0: 7255. Welcome back. I hope you enjoyed that commercial break. So, now thinking about from the physical aspect of how we see time and how our brains interpret it, and also thinking about the impact of time, both positive and negative, and how we're trying to reclaim it, let's kind of examine how. Typically, American culture seems sees time. So to a lot of you, this will probably seem really, really familiar. Uh, so in a capitalist culture like the United States, time has value, and doing things in a very quick, efficient manner means more productivity. So Henry Ford, for example, a business person who, if you don't know who he is, um, just look at Ford cars, He popularized the use of assembly lines, basically where you would have a worker doing the same motion or working on a small piece of the car. And that would be all they would do all day long. So instead of one person working on one car, they would just hit, like screw the same screw into the same place on 20 different cars. So by implementing this assembly line, Henry Ford cut down car production from 12 hours to two and a half hours wow it used to take 12 hours to make one car and he cut it down to two hours and 30 minutes but part of that too we think about how we interpret time as this like 25 hour mental clock we have like what does that do to the quality of life for these people working on this line there have been studies shown that actually working in assembly lines, is not good mentally for a lot of people's mental health. Um, Part of that really stringent structure of time is also seen in other countries like Switzerland and Germany, which are also really known for their manufacturing capabilities. You think of Switzerland and you think of Swiss watches, you think of really meticulous, well-crafted things. Swiss Army knives. Yeah, Swiss Army knives, things like that. (laughs) Germans, so I was looking up, like, I was looking up uh, uh, sayings about time, because I'm always, part of, like, knowing cultures is also knowing their cultural sayings. Germans are known to say that it's better to be five minutes early than one minute late. Woo! Yeah. Are y'all German? (laughs) Actually, yes. I was going <laughs> to say, like, are you
2: German? I was curious to see. Mm-hmm. Maybe that's, it. maybe I inherited that, so mm-hmm. it's not my fault. Mom. Ancestral Sorry. roots. Yes. Exactly. And it did come from my
0: dad's side. Oh, gosh. Truths are coming out. There you go. So that could be an explanation of why you see time as this, like, strict, stringent thing. Uh, now, why is that? You know, why do the Swiss and the Germans have this very strict concept of time? And then on the other end of the spectrum, we have people like the NAP bishop who really want to see time as this free-flowing thing. According to an article that I found from the BBC, this is a theory. It's a very popular theory, but it's still a theory. So, you know, tell me whether you think it's right or not. Apparently, it's related to a harsh farming climate like I was saying like you have to know when the seasons are when the planting seasons are mm-hmm. because if you don't plant your crops on time if they're early or they're late your plants are going to die on you and you're going to starve to death versus an island where you have a longer growing season you may not be as reliant on the turning of the seasons and you have this more fluid concept of time because your life isn't depending on it. It's a theory, and it's one that I am kind of agreeing with. But correct me if I'm wrong, is that
2: not where daylight savings came from? Was from a farming, um, I guess, mindset where they had to take advantage of the more light in the day um, in the summers? And and I could be wrong about that, but I'm, I thought that that was kind of the initial... Um, you know, purpose behind mm-hmm. that, uh, or at least you know, in more modern times, or
0: m- <laughs> more, more you yeah. know, not our, not our, you know, post or uh, r- pre railroad times, but but it's so interesting because you think that that would help productivity, mm-hmm. making sure that people are awake during the times when it's more light out, mm-hmm. but because our internal clocks are so used to the time, waking up at a certain time, going to work at a certain time, following these routines we lose productivity. We lose millions of dollars in productivity every year because of daylight savings. Because people are so thrown off by this small change in their routine.
1: Another poll, real quick. Okay, this happens to me, I swear, every single weekend. If it's if it's a work day, if it's a school day, and it's time to wake up, like you have to arrive at eight o'clock, need to get up 6.45, seven, whatever. It's hard to do. You don't. Your body does not want to do it, but when it's the weekend, promise you, my body will be ready to shine. <laughs> catch the morning worm, whatever at seven a.m. Consistent. Yes. Why is that?
0: It's that routine again, right? It's when you change your routine due to daylight savings, your body is so used to your little routines, and you know, upping your caloric burning at certain times because you're working or things like that it's the same kind of like mental clock that you have going on so i've got all this energy to be awake and i have no reason to be awake i'm too giddy to sleep exactly exactly that also brings us to how other people see time other cultures seem see time so candace our researcher extraordinaire uh speaks well signs asl and is deaf, hard of hearing. And she wants us to say that ASL is very, very strict when it comes to how they talk about time or sign about time. Time is always referenced first because it is seen as the most important. So as an example, and keep in mind, ASL has a different grammar structure than traditional English does. So it will sound a little different, but, Hopefully you can still get the idea. So in English, I went to the park this afternoon. You would translate it into ASL as, today afternoon park, I go to finish. So you can see that today is first, afternoon, and then it gets into what the person is doing uh, and where they, so where and then what they're doing. So you'd start off as the day because that's the biggest unit of time, then move to afternoon because that's a part of that day. Uh, getting into the cultural mindset about time. So this one, you almost need to have like a visual in your brain. So imagine with me for a second, Germans and other very industry heavy places, have think of time as a line, right? It's a line. It's always moving in the same direction. And if you waste it, it isn't coming back. It's moving along super fast. And it's gone. when it's gone, it's gone. Now, looking at other cultures, for example, Japan, they think of time as a circle. So you've got time as a line and then time as a circle. So if you've ever heard the phrase, history repeats itself, that's what cultures like Japan think of when they think of time. So uh when you think about how japanese think about time time is going to happen no matter what and it will repeat itself your job is to be a passive observer of time and you react to it but you don't necessarily divide it up the same way that you would um, from a german perspective if you react poorly to a moment in time you don't stress out about it because instead of thinking that that's time wasted you see time as that circle and you know you're going to come back to that situation again or a very similar situation and so you reflect and you use the lessons learned to react better the next time that happens to you actually it's funny that you
2: talk about the japanese the circle of of kind of repetition um I have a tattoo shared with my mom of an Enso ring um, because it does signify impermanence, right? It's mm-hmm. that you have this opportunity to learn and to repeat. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we have a symbol of impermanence that is permanently marked on our body. But <laughs> that point aside, um, it is very interesting to see these how time relates to value. You know, across exactly.
0: cultures. Exactly. Now in Spain and also in Arabic cultures. Time is fluid. Time is not important. The meeting and the relationships and what you're doing in the moment is the most important thing. So if a meeting takes an hour and a half, but you still accomplish everything that you wanted to do in that meeting, even though you may have said it's only gonna take an hour, it doesn't worry you if you're from a place like Spain because that's that's the, you don't see time as, as this resource to be wasted. Um, and you can see that in like our sayings in the United States, right? We say, take your time. If someone's, you know, struggling to say something and we want them to slow down and relax, things like that. We just say, take your time. This implies, like you were saying, uh, Michela, that time is a resource and we're able to spend it at will but we need to like have the permission of the person that we're talking to. Like we are you know, saying that your time is more valuable than mine so I'm gonna speed through what I'm doing and then the person says, no, no, no. I give you permission to slow down and explain this better, mm-hmm. you know? And then it's a really capitalist way about thinking about your time. Even saying, oh, I spend my time doing cross-stitching that's still a really capitalist way to spend your time right you're to 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 talk about time because you're saying that you spend it it's a commodity oh you're rocking my world (laughs) I know right it's so cool to think about these ways that we are ingrained to think about time in our culture now other cultures have sayings about time uh things like calm your heart so don't worry about moving quickly, slow down and follow your feelings. Can we move there? Yeah. Is calm that? your heart. Oh. Well, Elam oh. was telling us about this yes. and it was really cool. So calm your heart. Mm. And that's always a good one for me because I tend to talk too fast when I get excited or nervous. And really it's not about the amount of time I'm taking, it's about how I'm feeling inside. So that calm your heart is a really good reminder. And then in Italy, so this is where my family difficulty comes in. I know, Monica, you were saying that, you know, you mm. follow that German perspective yes. of five minutes early is better than being one minute late. So on the flip side, my Italian heritage says, if you can't live longer, live deeper. Wow. Ooh. So, I mean, really, we, we can control how long we live. There are certain ways that you can do that. But at the end of the day you kind of still have this set amount of time. And so don't worry about the future, enjoy what is going on around you. Relish the time you do have, because if you spend all your time dividing up (laughs) the resource that you have, then you're not gonna enjoy it as much. So I, I really enjoyed learning about the different sayings and how that helps frame how we think about this social construct. So you're saying, I need to apologize to my mom. I don't think that maybe you need to apologize, <laughs> but hopefully this will at least help you understand a little bit more. Yes. So in the comments, definitely tell us, what are some sayings from your background or your culture that are regarding time? because And let's talk about it. Let's examine mm-hmm. how diverse cultures see time as a construct
1: absolutely i've learned so much um for this podcast thinking about time and i'm looking forward to researching our next topic which on the topic of spending and thinking about spending time Mm -hmm. and even the resource and the commodification of time i think it's time (laughs) one last one bear with us to talk about money money as a social construct folks
0: money 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 Thank you so much, everyone, for joining us. Uh, we really appreciate you listening in. Do us a favor. Go ahead and follow us on Instagram. That would be decon101, decon numeral one, OH numeral one again. We will be posting updates on episode releases as well as some fun, interactive things. We try and make it fun for you guys to follow us on Instagram. So. And then also feel free to send us an email if you have any corrections. I know that I am human, therefore I make mistakes. And so we welcome any edits that you uh, think we should add. Um, And we will put that email in the show notes for you if you would like to get in contact with us.